We turn back then to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. As we considered this passage as well last Lord's Day, we uh, saw in it, first of all, uh, as we come to these oaks of Mamre, hopefully you remember the name Mamre and realize that that's an individual, it's a person. He's an Amorite who is an ally of Abram who has allowed Abram Abram at this point to dwell in the land, to live on his land, even though there is the promise of God that it's all going to be Abraham's. As of yet, it is not. And even by the time we get to the end of Abraham's life, he has but the cave of Machpelah, the hope of the resurrection and uh, his faith that the Lord would indeed fulfill his promise. Well, he did. He gave Abram a much better Canaan than uh, the track of ground in the Middle East, did he not? So we learned that, okay, the name, why it's called the Oaks of Mamre. Secondly, we learned about the Lord's appearance. It is the Lord who appears. And what does that mean, that the Lord appeared to him? And we went through that part about the three visitors and the one that Abraham acknowledges as the Lord and the hospitality that Abraham showed. But then we have the reason for the Lord's coming in that first part of Genesis chapter 18 and that was to repeat the promise, the promise that he would indeed have a son and that the son would be through Sarah, not through Hagar as Abraham tried, but it would be through Sarah. And so God has repeated that promise. But there is another reason. We're still at the Oaks. We're still there, right? So one reason for coming is to repeat the promise. Now God comes to reveal something else, something new to Abraham. The, the first is a repetition. Now comes a new revelation at the Oaks of Mamre. We're going to pick it up at verse 16 then. Seeing we considered the first 15 verses last Lord's Day evening. And we'll read then through the end of the chapter. Then the men set out from there. And they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abram still stood before the Lord. 
And Abram drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are there? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abram answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I, who am but dust and ashes, suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it, if in it I find forty-five there. And again he spoke to him and said, suppose forty are found there. He answered, for the sake of forty I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak again but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way, and when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place, the oaks of Mamre. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank, for, thank you again for the scripture that you've provided us. I see this example in Sodom of the great evil and the destruction of, that you carried out on Sodom for their evil. And we ask that um, the, that the righteous, um, because of the righteous, the Sodom, uh, only the few righteous in Sodom, Sodom was still was destroyed. We ask that you'll bless Pastor Bob as he explains this scripture to us. Ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to look at three things from this passage. First of all, the Lord's revelation. Secondly, to note the Lord's mercy. And thirdly, the Lord's judgment, which carries us into chapter 19 as well this evening. Verse 17, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? What an interesting phrase, is it not? It's a conversation that the Lord is having either with in the Trinity or it's a conversation he is having with the two angels that have accompanied him to visit Abraham at these oaks of Mamre. Shall I hide from Abraham? You see, the Lord obviously knows, because he has made it, that he's in a covenant relationship with Abraham. God has chosen Abraham. Abraham didn't choose the Lord. God chose him. 
as verse 19 very clearly tells us. God has come with promise upon promise of this covenant of grace that we've been talking about in the book of Hebrews. They're in a covenant relationship. But the other side of the covenant is this. Abraham has been faithful. Turn with me, just keep your finger here for a moment, and turn with me to the book of James. Now you ought to be getting a kind of a worn section in the book of Hebrews. James follows. So it's Hebrews, James. And we'll go to uh, chapter 2. James chapter 2. Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Shall I hide from Abraham? Shall I hide from my friend that what I am about to do? See, the, the, the statement from the Lord comes up out of that covenant relationship. And it's a reminder. Not only was Abraham in that covenant relationship, not only was Abraham this friend of God, but so are you and I. We also... Because of Christ and the work of Christ. Are in that covenant relationship. We are the friends of God. And the Lord does not hide anything from us. The Lord reveals to us all that we need to know. All that is necessary for us to know. God has not hidden anything from us. But what is it that the Lord is going to reveal to Abraham? What is it that the Lord is speaking of here that I am about to do? Well, it's his destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Shall I hide from Abraham, my friend? Shall I hide from Abraham, who I am in a covenant relationship with, that what I am about to do, the destruction that I am about to undertake, that which I am about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. What will Abraham think when he sees the rising of the smoke? If I do not tell him. What will Abraham do? What will my friend do if I do not tell him? And so we read in the latter section, starting at verse 20, that the Lord then speaks to Abraham and says, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I'm going to go down. But we know from chapter 19, from the message of the angels, it is to destroy. Now the go down does not mean God's coming from heaven to go down, right? He is with Abraham at these oaks of Mamre. What he is saying is this, I am going to journey down. 
My messengers are going to go down before me. And they're going to find out for me how great the outcry truly is. How grave the sin really is. I am not going to hide from Abraham. That what I am about to do. My friends, that's the blessing of God's word, isn't it? As we look upon our evil and sinful world, God does not hide from us that which he is about to do. God does not hide from us the fact that there is a judgment coming. God does not hide from us the fact that he is going to come to judge the living and the dead. God reveals it to us. Because God wants us to know. Because we are, as James writes about Abraham, the friend of God. We're in that covenant relationship with him. So he loves us. Secondly then, I want you to note the Lord's mercy in this passage. Over and over and over again, Abraham pleads. Oh, he's persistent, is he not? Six times, six times he asks the Lord to spare this wicked city. I know the context is different than, than Jesus' parable, but I cannot help but think of that parable of that persistent widow who keeps coming to that judge over and over and over again until justice is done. And I think of Abraham there just pleading. You you can tell from from Abraham's words that that he knows he's pushing this. He, he, He knows that You can almost hear him thinking, I'm not sure I should do this, but I need to. I have to. I have to plead. Lord, if there's 50, will you spare it? And down through the numbers. That persistence and willingness of Abraham. Why is he so persistent? What is he concerned about? Why does Abraham care If Sodom and Gomorrah, these wicked cities, are destroyed, well, what is his plea for? His plea is for the righteous. Now, we may be thinking, well, Lot, his nephew, is certainly in that territory. He probably knows he has moved into the city. Lord, would you spare it for 50? There's got to be 50. About 45. He is concerned for the righteous. But there's another aspect, isn't there? He is concerned about God. In fact, he's more concerned about the Lord than he is about the people. Do you hear Moses in this passage later on? When God is about to destroy the people and Moses intercedes on their behalf, says, Lord, Lord, what, what, if you destroy the people, what are the other people going to think? What are the foreign nations going to think? What are the heathen peoples going to think about you? Lord, don't, don't destroy them. 
because your name is to be revered. Lord, glorify your name. Lord, uphold your name. Because, Lord, if, if you sweep away the righteous with the unjust, if you sweep away the righteous with the wicked, if you come as the judge and all are destroyed, then, Lord, what does that say about those who are in a covenant relationship with you? See, he is concerned about his friend. You ever talk that way? You know, we sing the hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus. Do you consider him your friend? Abraham was the friend of God. God is the friend of Abraham. And Abraham's plea here, his persistence, is that God would not be dishonored by destroying the righteous along with the wicked. But look at, look at as we think about this, the willingness of God to spare. And we're going to learn this is pretty ugly. What's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah? Okay, that's coming. That, that's pretty ugly. But God was willing. He put it on record. We have a whole city full of immorality, full of wickedness. But I will spare those two cities if we can find but 50. Look at the Lord's willingness to be merciful. Even if there are but 45. Even if there are but 40, even if there are but 30, even if there are but 20, even if there are but 10. Look what the Lord says. He puts his name on it. I will spare it. God was willing to spare two wicked cities if there were but 10 righteous. See, have you ever looked at this story, not from the side of the judgment of God, but looked at it from the willingness of God to be merciful? It is the mercy of God that's standing out here. When you think about the oaks of Mamre next time, think not only of the Lord appearing to Abraham, Think not only of the promise that God reiterates to Abraham and to Sarah, but think of the mercy of God. The willingness of God to spare. We are so quick to judge. We are so quick sometimes to execute. God is not so willing. God is a merciful God. Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad that God is not as judgmental as you and I often are? 
Aren't you glad that God has more mercy towards us than we often have mercy towards unbelievers? It's a beautiful expression. Even to the point when he does destroy these cities. What does God do in his mercy? He spares Lot, one man. God intervenes in that, such a way that the one righteous person, yes, that's what Scripture calls him. That's, that's what Peter calls him, 2 Peter 2, verse 7, that he was a righteous man, vexed in his soul daily by that which was happening. We can't look past that. God was willing for the one righteous man to come and intervene and to get the righteous man out before his judgment came. Because there were not ten righteous to be found in those two cities. The Lord who is the judge of heaven and earth. The Lord who sees. The Lord who knows the heart. The Lord who went down and saw. There were not ten righteous. There is but one. God does not sweep away the one righteous with the wicked. Does that sound remotely familiar to a few weeks ago? Does, does that sound a little bit like, that sounds like the flood. God was not willing to spare the one righteous man. Or God was willing to spare the one righteous man. Even though he punished all the rest. God spared. God spared righteous Noah and his family. God spares righteous Lot and his family. Covenant. Covenant promises. Covenant blessings. But having said that, we do indeed need to finish this up because we do need to address the judgment of God. Why is God coming in judgment? Why does God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? You know what the modern day interpretation of Genesis 18 and 19 is? The modern day interpretation is this. They just weren't very hospitable. They were not very hospitable people. And you see, God wants people to be hospitable. And they just weren't. They were mean people. They were bullies. That's the modern day interpretation. Now, although I would grant they are not hospitable. And I would grant that they are very mean, and I would grant that they are bullies. But not to mention the core of their sin is to sweep away the truth of God's word. Verse 20, chapter 18. The Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin 
is very grave. The sin. What is it that these two towns, the inhabitants of these two towns, are guilty of? Well, we get a pretty good insight when we turn to Genesis 19, verse 4. The two men, the two angels, are now with Lot. They're inside of the city. Lot has pleaded with them not to spend the night in the town square. Verse 4, but before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people, to the last man, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Now, we know Scripture, right? And we know that that phrase in Scripture means to have sexual relations with. Adam knew his wife. Adam had sexual relations with his wife and she became pregnant. These men want to have sexual relations with these other men. This is the sin of homosexuality. And this is not the only place where God condemns homosexuality. Leviticus 18, verse 22. Leviticus 20, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Romans 1, 26 through 27. Jude 1, verse 7. 1 Timothy 1, verse 10. Mark 10, 6 through 9. 1 Kings 14, 24. 2 Kings 23, verse 7. Revelation 21, verse 8. It's not the only place. Throughout God's word, this sin, this sin of homosexuality is condemned over and over and over and over again. Not just Old Testament, New Testament, as well as old. Condemn this sin. Today, Our society does not. Whether one deals with the media or with government rules and regulations and proclamations, even within families, Christian institutions, and even the church itself does not condemn it. Neilan Avenue Christian Reformed Church has an ordained female deacon who is married to a lesbian partner. Calvin College recently hired a new journalism professor. He is a member of the LGBTQ community. He wants queer students to know 
that they are loved by God and valued by Kelvin University. I am not the first LGBTQ person to teach at Kelvin, and I certainly will not be the last. As a student, he didn't know many Kelvin graduates in journalism, a deficit which he says continues today. He hopes to be a role model and resource for students interested in reporting. How sad. How devastatingly sad. But it's more than sad, isn't it? It's pathetic. It's horrific. Not just from society. But Christians, institutions, and the church. And you and I both know. They're not the only church, and they're not the only Christian institution that approves it, that accepts it. From what I understand, Senate will be, of the Christian Reformed Church, will be besieged this coming summer with overtures because of the failure of the church to discipline in this case. We shall see where it goes. We need to encourage those who stand yet in the Christian Reformed Church that they stand up and do that which is good and right, that they do that which is noble and pure, that they do that which is godly. One is their sin. Second is the outcry. See, the outcry that God speaks of in verse 18 or verse 19 of chapter 18 is that outcry of the fact of their violence. The outcry of the way in which they have engaged in their acts of homosexuality. That flagrant, in your face, that flagrant rebellion that flagrant, I don't care what God says. I don't care what God's word says. We're going to make our own rules and we're going to follow our own ways. The outcry of violence. How many visitors had happened into Sodom unwittingly, unknowingly, and had been abused? How many visitors had walked into Gomorrah not knowing that which was about to happen and take place. And the same thing that was going to happen to these angels without the intervention of Lot would take place in that town square. Perhaps as we look back into the book of Judges, perhaps even left for dead. The outcry. God is coming. He is coming in judgment against these towns. But there is also a reminder, and I want us to go to 1 Corinthians 6, because we need, as the church, to hear this as well. We need to understand this sin, as horrific as it is, as God comes in judgment, is not unpardonable. First Corinthians 
chapter 6, verse 9. I reference this in the list of passages. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I want you to know, it doesn't stand out as the greatest of all sins. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, categorizes that sin of homosexuality along with the sin of thievery, the sin of greed, the sin of drunkenness, the sin of being a swindler. In other words, it is a sin, yes. It is a condemned sin, yes. But so is every sin. We must be careful, brothers and sisters, not to make one sin somehow greater than all other sins. Oh, its consequences are. Oh, its depravity certainly is. But it is a sin. But I do not want you to miss the very next phrase. And that is what some of you were. Some of the members of the body of Christ, the holy temple, as, God, as Paul speaks of them in Corinthians, had been homosexual offenders. That's what some of you were. God's grace. They are not outside of grace. It is only that Hebrews 10 passage that puts us outside of grace to reject Christ. That's what some of you were. But you've been washed. You're sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's what some of you were. But they are no longer. Washed, cleansed by the blood of Christ. As much as you and I need to be concerned about that which is happening in our nation, in our world, in our society, in Christian institutions and Christian churches, in the acceptance of this sin. You and I need to be more passionate about bringing the message of hope, the message of grace, the message of washing, the message of being sanctified. So I give my brother, Reverend Murphy, all the credit in the world Seeking to plant the church in the midst of hell's kitchen. The midst of the depravity of this world. 
We need to storm the gate of hell with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's judgment, the reason, the reminder. But we can't miss the reality. Go with me back to chapter 19. Verse 23. We've gotten a lot out of there. Verse 23. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities. And what grew on the ground. Lot's wife behind him looked back. And she became a pillar of salt. There's the reality. Fire and brimstone. Cities leveled, inhabitants all killed. All destroyed. The ground laid waste. God came in judgment. It's a real judgment. It's not a fictitious. It's not, well, God came and said he didn't like what they did. No. They were destroyed. That's the reality of that. But where's Abraham? You know where Abraham is? And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. You know where he is? He's at the Oaks of Mamre. The place of covenant. The place of the Lord's appearing. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. He sees God's judgment. He knows his friend. He knows the promises of God. There were not ten righteous. And God fulfilled his word. He destroyed the cities. But I want us to end with verse 29. And so it was when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. God remembered Abraham. There's two things I want you to note about that. One, notice the name change. Throughout this passage, starting at Genesis 18.1, it's the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Yahweh. But in its conclusion about this event, the Holy Spirit inspires Moses to say, no, I don't want you to use the word Yahweh here. Here, I want you to use the word Elohim. Elohim has judged the nations. Elohim has judged Sodom and Gomorrah. You say, well, what's the point? 
Elohim is plural. But his action is singular. Plural, noun, singular action. He destroyed. But the he is actually plural. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, Elohim, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here, in this judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, it is Elohim who works. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are at work in this destruction. Do not buy the lie, my friends, that this is Old Testament and that's the God of the Old Testament. It's got nothing to do with Jesus Christ. My friends, it has everything to do with Jesus Christ because God remembered Abraham. Do you know why he remembered him? Because there is a covenant of grace. A covenant of grace that was going to be fulfilled in that son. Abraham is the friend of God because God is Elohim. Abraham is the friend of God because of the covenant of grace. Abraham is the friend of God because God who does not exist in time is already at the cross. He's already at the tomb. Christ is already before him. God, Elohim, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit remembered Abraham. And what did he do? He spared Lot. Oh, my friends, how we need to pray. How we need to pray these days. For God remembers his friends. And he hears as we pray for the lots of our life. And God, Elohim, remembers you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Your word to us is powerful. Your word to us is strong. It encounters us with the culture of this day and we come to realize, Lord, how we are to live so different than the society around us. Yes, Lord, we have to confess. In some ways, this is an easy sin to pick out of society. Father, there's sin in our own hearts too. It may not be this sin, but there's sin. Help us, Father, to confess it, to acknowledge it, to repent of it, to turn from it. For Lord, we desire to be your friend. We know you're holy. We know you're righteous. We know you're the judge. And so we just throw ourselves again upon your mercy. But Father, we do not do so hopelessly or helplessly. We throw ourselves on your mercy 
For we know, we know Christ as the one who has perfectly kept covenant with you. And in Christ, you have washed us and you have cleansed us as well. Thank you for making us, cleansing us, washing us white as snow. Christ's glorious name we pray and God's people say, Amen.